Welcome to Getting Down to Business, the show that aims to help dental practice owners and associate owners run a successful practice every step of the way. In today's episode, Eric Bergmeier, Certified Public Accountant and Certified Valuation Analyst, concludes our three-part series on financial statements by covering the cash flow statement. Joining Eric for our chat today is Rachel Robles, our Valuation Specialist. Rachel is an invaluable resource to the Henley Bergmeier Group. Rachel has helped many clients with their business by providing critical insights to buyers and sellers alike. Now, let's get ready to learn something about the cash flow statement and how it pertains to running a successful practice. Ready, set, let's get down to business. I'm going to learn a lot today because this is new to me. And I, I like to think that this will come in handy and more useful for myself when we have clients who want to do their valuation maybe several years before they're ready to sell. And then we're going to monitor their progress through these financials. Yeah. Is this the right uh, document? Right statement? Yes. Yep. This okay. is, this is it. And let me know if um, at any point to stop sharing and then, you know, cause I can cut all this out. Um, but that way, again, we're not looking at the whole screen this time. But can, can you have, can you have a summary, the summary income statement um, coming up first? Yeah. So, so you know, we're kind of towards now the the end or arguably the, the last of our series on the financial statements. And today's conversation is going to be around the cash flow statement. Now, as we do that, I'm, I'm now first looking at the income statement, but I, 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 it's important to start with the income statement and then move to the cash flow statement because the, the question we commonly get when we look at the bottom of this statement, this is the income statement and it says for the nine months ending uh, September 30, 2023, we have net income of $120,000. And the doc typically at this point says, that's great, but I don't understand because my balance sheet or my bank statement shows a significantly different number. And it may be significantly higher, significantly lower. It's quite frankly, it's rare that it's exact we get to a a a a cash balance in the bank that's equivalent to what the net, net income shows for that same period of time. So if we can pull up now, so now we're thinking, okay, we've got nine months of net income at $120,000, but my bank shows a balance of $67,000. And now how does that happen? So Josh, if we can now pull up the cash flow statement, basically what the cash flow statement does, and we when we started our uh, introductory episode and we talked about the elements of what normally happens in business. There's an operational component, there's an investment component, and then there's a finance component. And all three of those things have an impact on cash, but they're all reflected differently or accounted for differently on the variety of the financial statements we've looked at. The cash flow statement shows for the same period of time, typically as the income statement, all the flows in and flows out of cash walking us from a beginning balance to an ending balance. And that beginning balance is typically the beginning balance at the early part of the year, the day one of the year, and then the ending balance 
will follow the same period ending the income statement. So in this case, we're looking at a cash flow statement that starts January 1, 2023, and then ends September 30, 2023. And I just noted at the bottom, we're going to have to fix this. The cash balance highlighted in green there says January 1, 2023. I do need to change that to September 30, 2023. But, but what we have here is the story goes as follows. The practice starts the year with $174,000. And they've brought in through September $882,000 of cash. They've expended $761,000. And that leaves them with the net income number of $120,500 which agrees to the income statement. So the doc can say, aha, I now understand where my income statement falls in on this. Now, there's a few things that we then have to adjust on the cash flow statement because they're what are called non-cash expenses. The one that principally most small businesses will see is depreciation expense. And what happens with depreciation expenses is the deduction for your income, but the practice is not writing an actual ex a check for uh, depreciation expense. So this is one item that gets added back to the income statement because we want to get to real cash flow. And cash flow will increase by the addition of depreciation expense back to that net income number. There's a few other things sometimes that change on the balance sheet, whether or not the, the, the practice may have accounts receivable or they're paying most of their expenses using credit cards. And when we record the credit card expenses via the credit card, we have these things that change on the balance sheet around our receivables and liabilities that will also have what's called a, a non-cash impact or quite frankly, a cash impact to that net income number. And I know I'm getting kind of deep in here and I'm just trying to walk through the elements of what happens in a cash flow statement. But then we add through all this up and now we're kind of towards the, the very center of the document where it says total cash available. So in this particular practice, again, we start with 174,200. We've generated lots of revenue. We've incurred lots of expenses. We have a few minor non-cash items. And then we kind of end September 30 with what would be considered a cash available of $343,000. And again, the combination of these, all these numbers are gonna be found through both the income statement and then the balance sheet. But then we have a few other things that happen. This particular practice purchased $15,000 of equipment. This particular practice also repaid debt of $61,000 and also repaid debt of another $25,000. I noted I have another adjustment. I have to change on this. This is debt acquired of a negative $25,000, but they really um, pay down debt again of $25,000. So they spent a total of $46,000 of paying down debt. And we know, well, we know as accountants and, 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 and sometimes from an analytical perspective that when you pay down debt, you typically don't have an expense item 
for the debt. Remember, when we take on debt, it's not income. When we pay back debt, it's not an expense. The only expense we get for debt is the interest expense. So, so what you're saying is that purchase of equipment, debt repaid, and debt acquired, none of those numbers are also in the total expenses number higher because those are what's reflected on the income statement. That's that's absolutely correct. So, so you know, this is where when the doc is looking and says, gee whiz, I have $120,000 of net income, but why is my cash lower? And this is one of those reasons. Well, if you're paying down debt, that's not an expense to your point, Rachel. It's not going to be reflected on the income statement. So to the degree you have a lot of debt, there could be just from that perspective, a significant variance between your net income to the cash on your balance sheet. Uh, and if you have no debt, this is a situation where it could be very close. The, the income you generate, it could very well be very close to the cash flow you generate. And you can follow that through simultaneously to what ends up on the balance sheet. The other so, big item that you know folks don't recognize um, when they are drawing money out of the practice, and this, let's pretend for the moment, and this is going to be a typical case, this is an S-Corp uh, return. So, you know, we're, we're going to be taxed on the income, whether or not we, we pull out the money. But in this particular case, they started the year with $174,000 of cash, arguably quite a bit of cash. They, you know, put another uh, $170,000 almost of free cash onto the balance sheet. Sure, there was some debt repeat, re we paid down. But then the doc, for whatever reason, and this may have been a conversation we would have had together, elected to pull out $230,000, which they're, they are allowed to do. And there's not really re very few reasons why that, that wouldn't work out uh, for, for the doc. But in this particular case, it just works perfectly that we've got all this excess cash in the business. Let's get it out of the business. And then so you can see once you pulled out all that cash, we now end up with only $67,000 of cash at the end of that nine month period. And again, when we think about draws and or distributions, you know, Rachel, this is yet another thing that you're not going to find on the income statement. A draw. I was going to say is not an expense. the draws or distributions are different than salary paid. That's correct. Okay. That's correct. So the salary for this particular doc would be in the total expenses above of $761,000. Okay, the wage So this is in salary. addition to wages. Yeah. Yeah. So 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 the cash flow statement isn't so much revenues and expenses, it's cash in and cash out. And cash out could be a combination of debt being paid down, expenses being paid to run the practice, and then distributions to the owners. Can I ask a question that may not have anything to do with this? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, if you take distributions, mm -hmm. not salary, but a distribution, do you pay payroll taxes on that? Great question. The answer is no, you do not. You pay taxes on it because you have to pay taxes no matter what whether you leave it in there or you take it out because you're going to have to rec recognize it as income, but it you, it's not subject to payroll tax. So it's, it's not so, so, so when we talk about distributions, distributions mm -hmm. are not taxable events. Okay. 
the 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 typical business owner that we're working with is is let's let's just say for the for the simplicity of this or uh, this conversation is an s corp uh, entity mm-hmm. and the entity owner pays income tax on those wages that they get mm-hmm. and then the profit that is left at the end of the year regardless of whether or not that profit is taken as a distribution or not. So in this particular case, let's just say the doc ended last year with a decent profit, but left all the cash in the practice for whatever reason they did. The profit was taxed, not that cash. Now we're taking the cash out this year through that distribution of 230,000. The income that generated that cash from last year was taxed last year. Okay. I'm just so, thinking, why would why would they say my salary is, for example, $150,000 and anything else I want, I'm going to take as a distribution? And they can. They that's can. like a strategy or something? Yeah, and, and that's it. I mean, that's it. This is that could be a whole nother topic. We do, quite <laughs> frankly, it's a great question. It, it, you know, you 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 start kind of touching on. I mean, this is why all this stuff becomes super complicated, and mm. nothing is ever an easy answer. But you, you're asking the perfect questions here. It's like, well, let me take the lowest salary possible, so I'm only paying payroll taxes on that, and I'll take all my profit and pay ordinary income tax, but I. I'm not going to pay payroll taxes. Well, the IRS is wise to that. And, you know, the the challenge there and one of the big IRS audit issues is around reasonable compensation. Okay. And you have to ask the question, based on the facts and circumstances of this particular entity, um, is the owner getting paid a reasonable wage for the work that's being done? So when we think about it, Doc, and this is for a nine-month period, that this practice will probably generate in excess of a million dollars of cash during mm. the year. Well, we know when we go through our formulas, we say roughly 70% of that cash is going to be produced by the doc. So that's 700,000. And then a doc would typically get on average 30% of that. So we would expect there to be a reasonable salary of around $210,000. Let's just say we conclude that's the right number. Maybe the IRS, if audited, would would come up with the same conclusion. If that doc instead decided to pay themselves only $75,000 and had Mm -hmm. no other associate in there other than themselves doing this work, that would be a situation where the the IRS, upon challenge, would say, we do not believe that compensation is reasonable. And then there's a bowl can of worms around an audit. It gets real messy. But that's part of our job to make sure that they... Uh, you know, we stay with them within the right boundaries of the law on that kind of thing. But a great question comes up a lot, comes up a lot. So great question. I'm just... I have a couple <laughs> questions too. Yes, sir. Just thinking Mine about might not strategy. Be great. Uh, but okay, I'm just going to, there's a couple of them. So first of all, what do you mean by depreciation expenses? What exactly is depreciating? Is it the building? Is it equipment? Is it, what? what does that mean? Yeah, it's and and that it, it, depreciation is a an accounting term, um, and it's an allowance. It allows you to recover. In in fact, in the in the tax law, it's called cost recovery. Um, 
So when you acquire a piece of equipment that will that has a useful life greater than a year, equipment, it's substantial equipment. We're not talking small equipment that may last 18 months and you're going to throw it out and have to buy something new. But, you know, your computers are going to last a couple of years. Your office furniture can last five years. Uh, you may buy a, an x-ray machine like a CBCT or a CEREC mill that could be between five to seven years. The In the simplest terms, in order to recover that cost, that investment, we can deduct a portion of that expense each and every year. Real simply, don't hang me on these numbers because we're just going to try and keep this simple. You buy a $100,000 piece of equipment and it's depreciated over five years using the straight line method. You don't take the full deduction in year one, but rather you take depreciation of $20,000 and you take that charge against the piece of equipment for the next five years until it goes to zero. So we, you're allowed the expense for that partly in year one, again in year two, three, four, and five until it's fully depreciated for a piece of equipment. You mentioned a building. Uh, if, if let's pretend for the moment the doc owns the building and that building may be a million dollars, there's going to be an allowance for land. And let's say the rest of it's $900,000. And in the simplest terms, that building's going to be recovered through that, that cost, that re depreciation over the next 39 years. Uh, so very slow depreciation, but that's where that charge comes up. Uh, the, the asset itself sits on the balance sheet. And then every year we reduce the value of the asset by a little bit of that depreciation. So again, yeah. Josh, when you ask that question, and let me finish here, is like, you don't write a check every month or every year for depreciation expense. You simply uh, bought the equipment somehow using debt or cash. And then you eventually, then over time, you're you're recognizing that expense. It's not a real expense as in you pay it every year, but it reduces your taxable income. That's correct. What you're saying. Yes. Speaking of expense, you said that debt is not an expense. And to me, that just sounds strange. Um, right. uh, can you, if, if debt is not an expense, what is it? It's an obligation to pay somebody else for money borrowed. Um, and, and again, the reason why it isn't an expense, if you think about it this way, when you borrow money, you didn't create income by borrowing. So when you pay it back, you're not now offsetting an expense you had previous, uh, income you had previously. Right. I know. And of course I know, like, you've got to pay debt back. I guess mm -hmm. what you're saying is, um, so for example, if I purchase a new computer, for example, and I write that off as an expense, yep. the idea is that that computer is going to help me generate um, more business. That's right. But the debt in and of itself is just... So yeah, I got a little confused on that, but... It's okay. So let's just talk about, you, you, you know, you buy a piece of equipment, you, you buy a piece of equipment for $50,000. Let's just say it's a... A scanner. I think the Itero scanners are going to be like between thirty-five to fifty thousand dollars. These are the ones that the doc puts in your mouth and can do a, a great scan of everything going on in your mouth. And you buy, you pay for that with debt. You borrow money from the bank for fifty thousand dollars. You in turn give that fifty thousand dollars to the manufacturer, and then they give you the equipment. Okay, now you have the equipment. 
And we're going to say that equipment is going to have a five-year useful life. And we'll make it simplest terms again. And we're going to depreciate it over five years, $10,000 a year. So each and every year, you get to deduct the cost of that uh, scanner over a five-year period, slowly reducing its value $10,000 a year for the next couple of years. And then that's where you get that deduction. Now, if you borrowed and then pay that back, the only other thing we get from an, an, an expense deduction is the in interest expense should you incur interest expense on that money borrowed. And maybe we can go into that in a little bit more detail in another episode at all. But, um, you know, I, I whether or not I've explained that clearly, I'm doing the best I can on that one. Of, of all the statements, the cash flow statement provides the most information. It's, it's, it's a great document that if you can understand provides a, a real nice, a healthy, robust, co comprehensive uh, snapshot of how your business generates cash, free cash flow. Um, but it's also the most difficult to understand. And it, it typically seems we, like the cash flow statement is really the big picture because where I focus, my most of my time is spent on the income statement. What I'm learning is that the income statement is not the big picture. Um, you know, I, I would say the income <laughs> statement is is I think the income statement is 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 the best picture of what somebody who's buying the business is going to expect when we look at cash flow from operations. You know, this comes back to the term that everybody's throwing around that we look at quite a bit is that EBITDA number. What is your earnings before? interest, taxes, depreciation, amortization. This mm -hmm. is the free cash flow the business generates. What the cash flow statement is then going to show is when we do the feasibility studies, Rachel, and says after everything else, does it still generate free cash flow to the business owner? And, you know, that's, that's, that's the ultimate mark when we say that feasibility study. So, so that feasibility study kind of also brings into um, what we do a lot of these cash flow elements as well. Right. Our reasonability, though, does not take into consideration. Well, I'm I'm trying to like marry the idea of the reasonability mm -hmm. and the cash flow statement. We don't look at necessarily what cash they had left over from last year, and right. we don't take into consideration distributions. That's right. That's right. It's kind of like the middle of the page. <laughs> yeah. And, and those two numbers, I mean, at the very, very beginning on day one, the beginning cash would be zero. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the year, that ending cash flow number should be something when we do our analysis, we want there to be a positive number. Otherwise, we're not going to give a thumbs up on the value of the practice at that price, right? Right. Then, then the distributions thereafter are arbitrary. Um, you know, it's it's ultimately the the owner's decision whether or not they want to draw that money out or not. But the but the premise of what we do from a feasibility study is absent what the beginning number is and the ending number and or distribution. Is, mm -hmm. is each and every year a positive cash flow year. Right. And if we didn't take out no, any any cash, we would end up with uh, 
a massive amount of cash in the practice 10 years out, which isn't the case. It's typically the doc's going to pull that money out for other personal needs. Mm -hmm. This is probably too Cut that part out. <laughs> um, this is probably too detailed, but why would you want to, or do you have the option, or do you have to um, uh, do the depreciation over the five-year period? Why can't you just like take the full amount in the first year? Oh, you can. Why yeah. would you want to or not want to? You know, it that becomes more of a tax strategy um, discussion, uh, and 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 some other technicalities. But but mm -hmm. but sometimes, if if a practice is going to otherwise have um, sustain a normal higher tax bracket, and let's say that's above twenty two percent, the question is, you know, is it is it worth taking an an entire uh, deduction in year one and drive that um, the 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 tax brackets down to the twelve and or ten percent, because depreciation at a twelve percent bracket or a ten percent bracket is just that is only savings at a ten or twelve percent bracket. But when you have depreciation at a thirty five percent bracket, it becomes a lot more valuable to you. So 10,000 when you're at a 35% tax bracket saves you $3,500. Mm -hmm. 10,000 at a 12% tax bracket saves you $1,200. Mm -hmm. So if if I wipe out all your earnings with a massive piece of equipment, I don't think in my professional opinion, I'm providing the best bang for the buck for the client, especially if they run a dental practice that's highly successful, is always going to keep the client in a, let's say, a 32% tax bracket. Why would I want to take all that depreciation in one year and then they're back up into the 32% the next years and I've saved them money in one year? I may have wiped out all their tax obligation, but I'm but there's they're paying no taxes and 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 the savings are going to be you know in 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 the in the 10 and 12% tax brackets so you know that that's kind of why i would think about it one way over the other in, in terms of when we should we take it all when shouldn't we take it all so if you decide to depreciate something over say 5 years instead of 1 year can you go years 1 and 2 and then take the the total left no. over you have to no, I'm thinking no, like, okay, no. yeah, you make the election up front. Who wants to sell in a few years, but they have to buy equipment today? That may be a reason why they want to fully depreciate it because five years from now, they won't have the option to finish it. Yeah, well, or we, I don't know. We, <laughs> I'm asking too we, many questions. Yeah, I don't no. actually want to learn that much about tax, <laughs> but I have a lot of questions. And I, I do have, go ahead, go ahead, go ahead Josh. I was just going to ask, I do have one other question that's confusing me on the numbers. So I'm looking at the net income. It's $120,500. But then I'm looking at total cash available and it says $343,360. So um, like in my mind, I'm like, wait, we had net collections of 882. We had expenses of 761 that left us with 120. How do we wind up at 343,000 as being available? Yeah. So 
I probably should have A's plus B's plus C's. So that 12500 we add 15,300 to it. We add another 33,360 to that 120. So the combination of the 120 plus 15 plus 33 gets you to 169,160. That 169,160 plus the top number of 174,200 gets gotcha. you to 343,300. Now I see. Okay. Makes sense. Yeah. Thank you. That, You're welcome. That up. And then also the distributions, I would, uh, Connecting the dots is coming from that 343. So the yeah, so the 343 less the 46 right. less the 230 gets you to sixty-seven thousand dollars. Perfect. Okay. Are 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 doctors that run successful practices usually pretty um uh you know up to date with their cash flow statements? Are there ever no, times? Nobody when... looks at the cash. Nobody looks at the cash flow statement. I'm the only one that looks at the cash flow statement. So you're as an external user, you're you're looking at that. They're not mm -hmm. looking at that. And the reason they're, no, they're only because... looking at their personal bank statement. <laughs> yeah. The, the the only cash flow analysis a doc does is or any small business owner, not not to be critical of, of docs in in but all small businesses is I look at what's what what cash is in my bank and then I kind of freak out. Now there's no real cash flow analysis around that. It's like, why is my cash this number? Now I freak out. Um that and then typically that's where the phone call comes in and they say, Eric, I don't understand what is happening. Why is this happening? And and, and in general, the issue is going to be um your debt burden is still pretty high. You're not producing enough to cover the debt. Or quite frankly, you're, you are producing enough to cover the debt, but you're taking out distributions that are substantial and you can't continue to take money out of the business the way you are because it's not generating enough cash flow for you um, to, to, to take out at, at the level you want. And, and really, there's only two ways to fix that. Produce more. Let's say you produce more and keep your expense structure the same so there's a more cash that's coming out. or Or conversely, um, and, and this may be, there may be other options beyond this, but I'll just say it this way, live within your means. You just can't, you cannot, your practice cannot many times cannot fund the lifestyle you want. And the only way to get to the lifestyle you want is live within the lifestyle. Well, no, if the only way to get to the lifestyle you want, if it's not going to happen the way it is, is to work work a little bit harder in the business to generate a little bit more free cash flow and figure out if there's any expenses you can trim here or there to improve the, the efficiency of your practice. So Rachel, you raised. Your... No, I was oh, saying like top line, top line. you're going to have to generate. If you don't want to take less, you're going to have to generate more. Yeah. Yeah. I would imagine you have seen quite a range of, um, I guess you could call it, habits of different uh different doctors that you've helped i would imagine that some of them come in and they have very bad spending habits and their cash flow statement is not where they would like it to be on the flip side i'm sure you've had um, doctors who are really disciplined and their cash flow statement shows this is how you do it right um are there any trends i guess that you have noticed. Um, I don't. I don't know if this is like super relevant to our conversation, but are there any trends that you notice that 
you you just kind of touched on them, I guess. You know, living be- living below your means, dealing with the debt. Um, in your opinion, is the debt the most common factor in a lower cash flow statement, or do some of these extravagant lifestyles um, play a role? Because in my mind, I'm like the debt is a given as far as like buying the practice, but the other stuff, you know, it's more of like a, a personal, almost like a psychological thing of what's going on, um, you know, in, the, in their head to make them maybe live above their means. Um, yeah. I mean, there, there's that Dave Ramsey approach to, you know, how you should kind of operate your business. And, and I think we should probably do a little, uh, do a few episodes on, on profit first, or at least the strategies around profit first and how you should live within, I don't know if you preachy about it, but arguably speaking, living within reasonable means. And, and, you know, Rachel and I were having this conversation earlier on a practice that wants to sell, but they want to cover their debt, but which debt, you know, and, and what I don't show here, and I don't want to pull up the balance sheet for the moment, but Practices can have a variety of debt, but let's just talk about probably the the two most common, um, or maybe three most. Well, it would say debt from purchasing the practice, and then debt from purchasing equipment. But then there's going to be, and those would be financing debts, right? But then you have, or investing debts rather. But then you're going to have operating debt. I put stuff on a credit card. And then I pay off my credit card. But if I put stuff on my credit card and don't pay off my credit card, it's a false sense of of comfort if every month my credit card bill gets a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger, a little bit bigger. And all I'm doing is making minimum monthly payments to keep the credit card company off my back. But suddenly I'm generating arguably speaking, free cash flow from operations because the money's coming in. I'm not paying off my credit cards, right? I'm paying them off minimally, but I'm allowing the credit card balances to grow and grow and grow. And the interest and that gives charges. Was that? And the interest charges. Eventually. And then you get, in the, in which are now getting to be insidious. I mean, they're mafioso type rates, right? So you have this sense feeling of security that I'm generating cash in the business because I'm not paying off my credit card debts. I may be paying off my other debts, but suddenly there's more cash available for me to spend personally. So the people that tend to get themselves in trouble are the people that use those credit cards and only pay them for, partially every month, you know, and and to the degree they can kind of keep that until it gets too big. And then they just only pay interest on it. Um, And then they have to open up another credit card. And what have they done? They've used their business to cash flow a personal lifestyle. And then you would really see the trend in that is a high debt on the credit card side and very little cash because they're always drawing it out to live off of. Quick question. um, you said you were the only one that really looks at the cash flow statement. But what yeah. about in the what about in the scenario of say um, you have a dentist, maybe he's actually wanting to buy another practice, and he has to get an underwriter to loan him the money. Mm-hmm. Would the banks 
that would be financing the loans also look at the cash flow statement? And would they be paying attention to things like, hey, you have, um, you know, you're trying to get a loan, but you haven't touched any of your student loan debt. You have exorbitant credit card debt. Does the cash flow statement play a role in that sort of thing? The, you know, again, this is kind of, I think, back to Rachel's earlier question is where maybe, where where do the income statements uh, and the cash flow statement kind of reconcile to each other? And that income statement and the cash flow statement are all about cash from operations, cash from operations. The, the operations is defined by the things we do and we do every day, day, every, day in, day out, every single week, operational. What is it that we do? We're a dental practice. We may be a spa, but whatever it is we do every day, we have sales revenues, service revenues, and related expenses. And Rachel and I, when we look at the valuation of a company, we're looking at the normal operating expenses against the normal, or rather start with the operating revenues against the operating expenses and come up with that gross, uh, well, that net margin, the cash available to pay doc and then debt. And an underwriter or a bank is going to look at it the same way. So the you eventually get to the second part of the cash flow statement that says, okay, what cash do I have available to then cover debt service? And what we want to make sure when Rachel and I do uh, uh, an analysis of, of the business and come up with the value of the business, and then also look at whether or not that business can handle that debt service, we are looking at those two elements of Cash from operations, how big is that number? And then what cash do we need for financing? And then what's left after that? And we always want to make sure there's something left after that. And typically the underwriters do too, but they care less than we do about what's left. Now, if any lenders are going to be on this call uh, or listen to this later on, I would appreciate your input on this. But our, our experience is, I think... It, we want to make sure that there's enough cash left after debt service to cover student loan debt, which you brought up. The, the banks and may to, not look at it the same way. Go ahead. And to give us confidence that we're not pricing to perfection, That's that right. we do allow the plus or minus. Yeah, we want cushion in that number. We want there to be cushion, right? Um, and the bank. The bank does too. They don't want to underwrite to the point where uh, the, the the practice is going to crumble because it just can't cover debt service. Um, but I think they would have more latitude on how much they would lend. Uh, but just to your question, um, they 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 kind of do their own internal cash flow statement, uh, much like we do when we do the valuation as well. Can I ask a question on the cash flow statement? Yes. When we covered the income statement, we talked about the um, expenses having a common size percentage that are in an acceptable range. Yes. Are there any lines on the cash flow statement that you would say you kind of apply a common size range? Like, for example, I don't really like to see the debt of more than a certain percentage of income. Is there anything that you kind of use a common size on the cash flow statement? Not so much on 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 the cash flow statement, but the you know again, because I think when you look at you know what do you, it, it, I think it's a little bit more difficult. The 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 items, if you would, 
do that would, would be, again, the operational items. It'd be, again, what cash is available compared to net collections. And we would probably want to see that in a range of maybe 25%, meaning it covers 60% overhead plus a 25% uh, for a doc compensation or 20% for doc compensation. So therefore, the co combination of those two would have a remainder of 20% for free cash flow before debt service. Let's just say that would be the case, but generally there isn't common size comparative uh, on a cash flow statement that doesn't typically okay. exist. I mean, you're you're saying that you would use the the same numbers on the income yeah. statement to, yeah. and you're still using income statement That's right. uh, numbers on the cash flow statement to say- That's right, yeah. yeah. You don't typically- manage a business from its cash flow statement you 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 more so manage it from the income statement right that's where mm -hmm. you have the opportunity is like if my cash flow is messed up where do i start to fix things it isn't from the cash flow statement it would be principally from the income statement that's that's where the ahas will will pop up and say here's what we need to do in order to fix the business mm -hmm. okay uh, you talk about debt to equity those come back to the balance sheet. And I think we should do um, maybe an add-on bonus uh, uh, webinar on uh, key ratios that a small business should be looking at. Yeah, because I'm thinking if we have the kind of PL information at the top and then you, so we have your um, operating income and then minus whatever you pay the doc, but then you have a ton of, debt that doesn't get reflected on the PL and now you maybe you're kind of in a negative number. It's right. Like, right. Right. And that happens. I mean that happens. We 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 unfortunately have docs that have fallen into that position. Mm -hmm. Well I, I think cool. this was wow, a this is great really conversation. A, yeah. I don't, I don't, <laughs> you guys are great students. I, I love the I love the, you guys are like legitimately excited about the cash flow statement. <laughs> <laughs> we're gonna get an a today josh <laughs> yes um eric before we wrap is there anything else um you want to touch about touch on about the cash flow statements yeah uh, or is there like a message that you would like to share with people uh things yeah. you wish they knew about it i i say for the folks that are listening we're gonna say you know as we wrap up this series and and i, and I greatly appreciate anybody who's put the time in to listen to us talk for the last few hours on this I'd say principally you know the most important set of financial statements of the three the balance sheet income statement and cash flow statement absolutely understand the income statement right from the income statement we can then spend a little bit more time on the balance sheet but once we understand the income statement and the balance sheet well um, I think you're done my only purpose for bringing in the cash flow statement is it kind of ties those two others together. This is, you know, this, this if 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 an, an accountant is trying to educate the masses on financial statements, you can't not talk about the three comprehensive sets of statements that are out there. But I don't expect anybody after this call to then call their accountant and say, Put together a cash flow statement and let's go through it together because I understand everything else, but I now don't understand the cash flow statement and I want to understand it. If you have a highly profitable practice or a well-run and and generating a nice profit practice and your balance sheet is clean and you're paying down your debt, I think you're fine to move forward. If you have nothing else to do, 
and your accountant sitting around waiting for you to call. Then say, hey, for fun, let's look at our cash flow statement and discuss it together. I don't think that's going to happen. And so my job here is to pro provide it to you for educational purposes, but not something that I think you must look at from a management perspective or an ownership perspective. You understand your income statement. You're confident that you're running a well-run practice. You understand your balance sheet. You know why cash is doing what cash is doing. Fantastic. If you really are looking at both and you then confuse still, things just don't make sense, maybe adding the cash flow statement into that can provide a little bit more understanding for you. Because I will say this at the end, truly the only place you are going to see where owner contributions are made and impact the financials, as well as where owner distributions are made, distributions are made and impact the financial statements is only on the cash flow statement. The only place you're going to see when you take on debt and what that does to cash and when you pay down debt and what that does to cash is only on the cash flow statement. So it is important from that perspective. And it, so um, I think I think from that perspective, um, it it adds value, but I won't be, I won't suggest to the to the masses that they absolutely have to understand this as well as they under, understand their income statement. It may be something you look at once a year with your accountant. In a normal um, uh, financial statement package that someone may get monthly or quarterly, is the cash flow statement part of that? No, it is not. Okay. So if it someone goes, I've never seen anything that looks like that before. That's right. Because they don't. It's not a typical statement that is prepared. Because... I think most people have a difficult enough time understanding probably the most simplest of them being the income statement. Mm -hmm. Then they're, or they're not even doing that. They're just looking at QuickBooks. That's right. Or, or, and Josh, they may not even be doing that. They just look at their bank. They're looking at the bank account balance. <laughs> yeah. 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 So I'm there's two days whole... to payroll. Do I have money to cover payroll? <laughs> that unfortunately is a super common strategy unfortunately and that's sad and we shouldn't be that way but yes i mean and we 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 may laugh about that but good golly rachel it happens a lot well not to anyone listening to this podcast <laughs> if there's points of hours hopefully <laughs> yeah. not that's right but i, I oh, think it's your time yeah I think we're going to wrap up here and uh, just uh, thank you all for tuning in and we appreciate the education, Eric and Rachel. Uh, it's great to have uh, uh, someone to lead us through these confusing topics that uh, can be stressful when you sit down and you think, I got to look at all these numbers. So it's important to have a good trusted advisor who can help you manage your books, help you succeed in your practice every step of the way. Um, what do we got coming up next, Eric? What's our next... Nope. Topic. I think our next series is going to be take, let's do a much deeper dive on what we've discussed here and get into um, how we value um, a dental practice. Okay. That's going to be an Looking exciting forward episode. to it.
And that that's going to be, I'm looking forward to that. I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I mean, that's really where the energy comes from, why, we, why we're doing what we're doing and what those income statements are really going to tell us and why that all matters. Well, great. Thank you, everybody. And join us next time for our amazing episode of Getting Down to Business. We'll see you then. Thanks, everybody. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into this episode of Getting Down to Business. We hope you enjoyed it. Please feel free to visit our website, www.henleybergmeiergroup.com, and make sure to tune in next week as we start to look at the steps involved in valuing a dental business practice. Thank you so much, and we'll see you next time.